God uses the truth to transform us. God uses the truth to convert us. God uses the truth to bring saving faith. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth and he uses the word of truth. He points to Jesus Christ who is the truth. And I say, be careful what you listen to. There's all kinds of untruths out there or partial truths. Be careful what you listen to. And we should be careful, I think, uh, as Christians, what we say. We need to be convinced of what the scripture teaches, and that is that the Holy Spirit ultimately doesn't use gimmicks and methods and eloquence. The Holy Spirit uses truth. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians, and Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Spirit Who Sealed Us. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Take your Bible this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. We're uh, enjoying, really, the riches that we have in Christ, and that's really the, the theme of Ephesians, certainly for the first three chapters. And then, in fact, if you think of the, the letter in chapters, you know, it's a, it's a short letter, really, but the first half, the first three chapters, the way we've got it divided in our Bibles, is our riches in Christ, our wealth. And then the second half is, what about that? Uh, the application in our lives and our walk. And uh, that's certainly true in this first sentence, and we're still in it because it has so much for us. And... You know, often in the Bible, you'll find at the very beginning of a section of Scripture, like uh, here in Ephesians, you'll find that he, he really lays out what he's getting at. And uh, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Two things. If you're in Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. It is key that you remember that this is all about those in Christ. If you are in Christ, God has lavished His grace on you. The words of wealth and riches are here in abundance. He didn't spare uh, anything. He didn't kind of measure out His blessings on us. He just lavished them on us. He dumped on us, so to speak. And he uses that language. Verse 8, he says, he lavished his grace on us. And verse 11, he speaks of our inheritance. I was listening uh, to a baseball game yesterday as I was out in the garage working. And when the game was over, the station cut away. Instead of hearing the post-game stuff, they cut away to uh, this show about how to protect your wealth. And... Uh, bulletproofing your financial future, they said. And they kept saying that every commercial break. We'll be back to bulletproofing your financial future. And the whole talk was about what happens when you die. Where does your money go, you know? And I thought, bulletproofing your financial future. And the big concern was make sure you've got it written up right because it doesn't go as easy as you think. And if you don't have it in the right form, why... You'll be real disappointed, and I couldn't help but think, I don't think you're going to care too much <laughs> where, where your money's going. But every now and then, 
the guy would kind of slip up because it sounded a little bit crash, you know, to be talking about if you're helping your folks arrange their stuff. But that's where people perked up, I'll bet, <laughs> you know, because he'd say, now, if, it's, if you're concerned about your older people in your life, why, you're pretty concerned there, too, because you want to make sure, and he'd try to say it carefully, but he says, you want to make sure you get what you, you know. And I thought about, you know, inheritance, and that's where he left off verse 11. He says, we've obtained an inheritance, and our inheritance in Christ dwarfs any kind of inheritance this world can offer. You know, when I say to you, Patrick Henry, if you're like me, you know, you think of that American patriot who said, give me liberty or give me death. But uh, Patrick Henry's last will and testament, after giving the details, he wrote this, I have disposed of all my property. There is one more thing I wish I could give them. Speaking of his children, that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that and I had not given them one shilling, they would be rich. And if I had not given them that and I had given them all the world, they would be poor indeed. Well said. Well said. We have an inheritance. Look at verse 11. You know, he's been telling us all that we have, and he says, we've also obtained an inheritance. And remember, he says that we are fellow heirs with Christ. And Christ is the one that God is summing up all of history in. Verse 10, he's taking from eternity past to eternity future to bring everything to focus in Jesus Christ. And he says, we are fellow heirs with Christ. We are rich indeed. And he explains it in this, really in these three chapters. But this paragraph that we've been looking at, I want to remind us of it because uh, there is so much logic to it. And it's so beautiful to see it all that God, the triune God, is for us and he has just lavished his grace. The Father chose us, the Son redeemed us, and now verse 13 and 14 the Spirit who seals us. The whole triune God is working on our behalf. The Father planned and purposed our salvation. Uh, the Son purchased and provided it. And now the Holy Spirit applies it and persuades us to lay hold of it, to appropriate it. That which was essentially ours by the Father, by the will of the Father, and was instrumentally ours by the act of Jesus Christ becomes experientially ours and applied to our lives by the Holy Spirit. And we want to be sure and enjoy uh, what he's saying. You see, what was ours uh, in fact and ultimately by the Father and the Son's work becomes ours in reality and in our experience in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And in one sense, and I say this carefully, if verses 3 through 12, and I told you there's one big long sentence, if verses 3 through 12 looked at it from God's perspective, from all eternity and what he has done for us, then 13 and 14, though still speaking of what God does, looks at it more from man's perspective. In him, you also, 
after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who's given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. Now, you've got really in verse 13 and 14, you get a spiritual biography of every believer, every child of God. Here's your biography, if you will. And it gets down into more where we live. You know, when I speak of chosen and predestined and those kinds of words, you might say, well, you know, but when I say here, you heard, you believed, you say, now those are words I, I even remember. And you can reduce it down to three words here in verse 13. Hear, listen, they've translated it, but it's the word for hear. After hearing the message, having also believed, you were sealed. No one is saved without hearing. No one is saved without believing. And no one who is saved is not sealed. These blessings in Christ Jesus from verse 3 through verse 14, they are true of every Christian. From the youngest, maybe you just came to Christ this week. Maybe you've been a Christian 50-some years. From the youngest to the oldest, from the weakest to the strongest, from the one who knows a lot and the one who doesn't know that much, these things are true not because of what you know about them or how much you've experienced them, so to speak, in your own cognizance, but these things are true because they're things God has done for you. Now, as I say, he gets very specific here in verse 13, and... Uh, he says, you heard, you believed, and you were sealed. Nobody's in Christ without hearing. Nobody's in Christ without believing. No one's in Christ who isn't sealed into Christ. That's how you get into Christ. The Holy Spirit seals you. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, he's going to get to it in chapter 2. You can glance over there. The first verse of chapter 2, he tells us our condition before Christ. And we were dead spiritually, dead in our sins. He doesn't say you were hurting or you were weak or you were struggling in your sin. He says you were dead. Hence, we needed the Holy Spirit to give life. No wonder Jesus said, you've got to be born again, Nicodemus. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born from above. You must be born of God. You must be born of the Spirit. And you remember Nicodemus, he said, well, and he was a religious expert. He would have had a couple of PhDs behind his name. And everybody said, oh, he's a, what school he went to. But he said, he couldn't understand it. And he asked about it. And Jesus said, in essence, 
You remember I'm quoting John 3. He said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. You want an explanation of the new birth? You can't do better than that, really. But here in Ephesians, he answers by saying, You heard, you believed, and you were sealed. Now let's look at them, each of them here, because this is uh, the ministry of the Holy Spirit on our behalf. And uh, you, first of all, hear the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. As I repeat it, no one is saved without hearing the gospel. How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? The Bible asks. Uh, hearing is essential. Uh, hearing alone doesn't save, uh, particularly if you think of it in a lesser sense than he's speaking of it here because he's speaking about really hearing here. But the Bible, I've noticed, doesn't use that kind of uh, qualifier. It just simply says, you heard. But there's ways to hear, and then there's ways to hear. And you remember when Jesus gave the parable uh, of the sower and the seed? And the whole emphasis of that great parable, which he said is pretty much a key to all the parables, and it was repeated in all three of the synoptic gospels, where he told about how the word of God is the seed, and it's sown in our hearts. And uh, when he gave that parable about hearing and receiving the word of God, he introduced it with these words, let him who has ears hear. And when he says that, and he says that repeatedly, we're going to see it repeatedly in the book of Revelation. It's obvious that he's saying, if you're hearing me, hear me. Really listen. Listen up. Hear me. So uh, let me just warn, first of all, that he said, be careful. In Luke 8, when he gave that parable, he said, be careful how you listen. Be careful how you listen. It's possible to listen in kind of a detached, casual way. And the scripture says, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You know, in a group like this, I would say, be careful how you hear the word of God. Some of the hardest people to reach are those who've heard it time after time after time. Well, I grew up with that. <laughs> I've heard that. My parents taught me that. I, I went to Sunday school. How many times I've heard casual, indifferent, unbelief phrased in that kind of language? Yeah, I know that. I've heard that. Be careful how you hear the Word of God. Don't trifle with it. Every time you hear it, you have a chance to respond or to neglect. That 95th Psalm today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Don't become a hardened hearer. Every time you hear it and don't really listen, a little bit of a callus gets built, a little bit of a skin over your eyes, so to speak. And pretty soon, you got people who real casually hear precious truth, and it means nothing. Some of you young people, maybe you see your parents responding to the Word of God, and you think, well, I will someday when I get older or whatever, but you take it for granted. Be careful how you hear 
the Word of God. That's what Jesus said. I've gone to Christian school. I, was, uh, I don't want to hear how much you've heard. I want to hear if you've heard it. And then uh, I think of in Ezekiel's day, because Jesus said, be careful how you listen to the Word of God. In Ezekiel's day, God lamented in chapter 33 of Ezekiel that Israel was listening to the prophet as if he was just one putting on a concert. I think it's verse 32. It's right at the end of the chapter. He says, it's like they're listening to a sensual song and just saying, ooh, that's pretty, that's nice. And there is a certain brand of hearer that just evaluates. That's a good sermon. Oh, that was very, I really appreciated what he said about, and just kind of entertained. Always the word of God is to be acted on. Be careful about being just an entertained here. But there are others, and that's what he's talking about here in verse 13. When he uses this term here, we're talking about hearing and believing. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus said. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them. By the way, you know, Jesus said, be careful how you hear. Uh, he also said, and in fact, in Mark's account of the sower parable, he said, be careful what you listen to. And I would, I would weigh in there also. Be careful what you listen to. Notice here in verse 13, we heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Three times Jesus referred to him as the spirit of truth. God uses the truth to transform us. God uses the truth to convert us. God uses the truth to bring saving faith. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, and he uses the word of truth. He points to Jesus Christ, who is the truth. And I say, be careful what you listen to. There's all kinds of untruths out there, or partial truths. Be careful what you listen to. And we should be careful, I think, uh, as Christians, what we say. And... The church needs to be convinced. And I speak of the evangelical church, but I'm talking about this church too. And I speak of this congregation. We need to be convinced of what the Scripture teaches, and that is that the Holy Spirit ultimately doesn't use gimmicks and methods and eloquence. The Holy Spirit uses truth. He's the Spirit of truth, and He bears witness to the truth. And the gospel of your salvation is what we heard when we really heard. We heard the message, notice, of truth. Be sure that you're telling your kids the truth. Be sure if God gives you an opportunity to teach a Sunday school class or a small group study at work or one-on-one -on -one with some, be sure that you use the word of truth and that people, when they hear you, they're hearing the word of truth. The gospel, Paul said, it's the power of God for salvation. That's why we need to understand the gospel. That's why we pause and really look at a, a sentence like Ephesians 1, 3 through 14. We need to really get a handle on the good news so that we know it and so that we can communicate it because 
That's what people need to hear. Our generation needs to hear not just that Jesus will make your marriage better or Jesus you know, will, will uh, help you through life. That, those are byproducts, and they need to hear that, I suppose. But they need to hear what Jesus Christ did. They need to hear the gospel. And he will make your marriage better. He will help you through life. His Holy Spirit's called the helper, the comforter, the encourager. But we need to be clear about the gospel. And the Ephesians, as he writes to them, you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. And that brings us to the second verb. Notice, believed. Having also believed. No one is saved without believing. No one is saved by merely hearing in that lesser sense that I spoke of. Now, let me point something out here. The Ephesians heard and believed simultaneously. When you really hear, you believe. Uh, and I think we understand that intuitively. You may be here for years. Maybe you were a neglectful hearer. But finally, the Holy Spirit penetrated your heart, and you heard, and you believed. But it's certainly possible to hear and not probably. You know, the, the word they heard, if, uh, Hebrews 4 verse 2 t t says, the word they heard did not profit them because it was not united by faith in those who heard. No, hearing is believing here in Ephesians 13. <laughs> Verse 13, to believe in Christ, to believe the gospel, having also believed. When you really heard it, you believed it. And it wasn't an intellectual assent. It wasn't saying, there must be a designer. It wasn't just saying, there's a God. The demons know there's a God, and they shudder, and they are not benefited by that knowledge that there's a God. That's a step in the right direction, I suppose, if you're coming from the folly of trying to pretend there is no creator. But to realize there's a God, that's not what we're talking about when we say believe. To believe in Christ is to depend upon him. It's to rely upon him. When you hear the gospel and you trust the good news of Christ, you believe what he did. It's an act of your will to personally put your case in his hands to trust, rely upon, depend upon him. When you believe in him for your personal salvation, you've heard the gospel. You've believed. And thirdly, notice the third verb. You're sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You've been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Spirit Who Sealed Us, a message from our study in the book of Ephesians. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Abide in the Word only remains on the air through the generous contributions of listeners like you. We'd like to ask you to prayerfully consider partnering with us on a regular basis to help us meet our daily expenses. To make a contribution, just go online to abideintheword.us or mail us at Abide in the Word, P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Remember over in Revelation... When God in chapter 7 and and chapter 9, when judgment is going to be unleashed, he seals his bondservants. In fact, in chapter 7, he seals a particular group of people, 12,000 people from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 144,000 Jewish people are sealed. They're marked with the seal of the living God, it says, on their forehead. And it's in awful contrast to the mark of the beast that's going to go on in the great tribulation. But God marks his own out, and they are sealed for protection, and they're protected from the very judgment of God. It's a picture in the end days of what all God's children enjoy today. You are sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Join us again next time as we continue our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, The Spirit Who Sealed Us. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.